yippee ki yay everybody how you doing on this monday morning so um some things uh going down in the world of the nfl that we did not get to talk about and um with my favorite team the dallas cowboys um we're going to talk a little bit about that and what it might mean for uh the nfc east uh before we do that though we're going to also talk a little bit about um uniforms or geese when it comes to training and i'm going to do a little bit of a review on the geese that i've owned and probably what you should be spending or looking to spend for a entry level gee um or a training gee if you will and then we're also going to talk some we're going to start off the day and talk some and a little bit about the ufc card that just finished up uh this weekend and uh Michelle Watterson getting a split decision win and Gaethje beating up the leg of Portier, but in the end coming up short. So anyhow, that's all coming up. Stay tuned, guys. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back. So um, let's go ahead and just got on into it. So UFC card this weekend. It was a pretty good card. I, I'm going to say for being a free broadcast TV card. I think this is one of the best cards that they put on to date. Um, it was absolutely stacked from, you know, top to bottom in my opinion. Um, and, uh, some of my favorite fights were, uh, of course, Michelle Watterson. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I also liked watching, uh, Cowboy Oliveira and, um, Carlos Condit. And then the final fight, the main event, um, the Gaethje Portier fight was a really good fight, super entertaining. So let's uh, start off with the uh, Michelle Watterson fight. So um, I think in this fight, uh, you saw something out of Michelle that, um, to be quite honest, if I'm being really, really honest, I think something that we haven't seen a lot out of Jackson Wink fighters recently. And what that is, is her adaptation. Okay. Um, I think that she adapted her game and did what she needed to do to win the fight. Now, I don't know what the philosophy is in the Jackson Winklejohn camp. I, I mean, I wouldn't, you know try to say I know um, I could comment on what I've seen and what I think but that would just be speculation on my part and that's really not what I want to get into but um, Watterson said something <clears throat> excuse me guys <clears throat> that was pretty interesting um, that when prior to the fight she said something about being open and working on concepts and principles during this camp and being open and flowy and flowing with the fight and and being able to um, adapt on the fly. And I think that's exactly what she did. I think she used her wrestling really well. Um, I see her becoming uh, more well-rounded, a more um, in-the-moment fighter, right? Not so rigid as to sticking to her game plan um, as much as understanding that you know, we may have a few scripted plays, um, similar to like maybe an NFL team having, you know, their, their first 10 scripted offensive plays and then kind of seeing how things are, are progressing from that point and then reading the opponent. And I think that's kind of what she did. Um, 
In my opinion, it shouldn't have been a split decision. I feel like it should have been a unanimous decision. But um, it was a good fight. It was pretty entertaining. Um, two game game fighters. Um, so, really super entertaining fight. Really think she can do more. Um, it makes it a little bit interesting because she really did well against Rose. And in all honesty, even though... Um, Yoana took Rose the distance in this last fight. I really felt like the more entertaining fight, the fight that Rose was more in danger was against Watterson. I felt like um, Michelle caught her with a couple of uh, really good strikes and, um, you know, unfortunately got a little overly predictable and then got caught. Um, so... I really feel like this says a lot about where that division is. Um, this girl that Watterson just fought, uh, I want to say she was like number seven or number eight in the division, something like that. I know she's already had like three to five losses. I can't remember exactly. Um, but that being said, she was a game opponent. She was very big. She was, um, I want to say she was five seven is what they listed her at. So that's quite a bit of height for that particular division. I believe it's 115 is that division. And I mean, that's a lot of height. If you think about that five being five foot seven, but being only 115 pounds at weigh in, I mean, that's a huge size difference. So it really, for me, makes me look at that division as very exciting. There should be a lot of exciting fights coming up. Um, I think definitely Michelle, uh, pretty soon will probably fight Joanna. Joanna is going to have to work her way back to another title shot. Um, if Michelle wins another fight or if for some reason, you know, they need to throw something together quickly. I think Joanna, uh, Watterson is a fight they make. I think that's more of an eliminator belt if both of them win their next fight. Um, but you know, it, it looks like it could be interesting. Um, and then let's see, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, Condis Oliveira. Oh man, Condit. Um, again, something like I said, I've seen out of a lot of Jackson Winks fighters, um, recently, uh, other than, uh, Watterson. Super, super predictable. I mean, uh, Carlos and, and don't get me wrong. I understand he's far down his career. He's one of my favorite fighters. I'm a huge fan. Uh, that being said, I'm also going to be honest about what I think and what I see. And what I see is his style has stopped evolving or it evolves very little. Um, and I understand that at a certain point in your career, you're not going to continue to add probably tools into your toolbox, right? Um, if he would have taken a break similar to that of GSPs, maybe he adds something different into his toolbox, uh, maybe more of a grappler, maybe more of a, a takedown guy. Um, but he really wanted to stand in kickbox. Um, and then once he was, you know, on bottom, not the greatest, um, I really feel like he still fights with that same reckless abandon that he's always fought with. Um, that being said, I think that it's probably time for him, if he's going to stay in the game, it's time for him to change that part of his game. Um, he's been rocked a few times now. Um, and what we've seen uh, in most fighters is that the more times that they get rocked, the easier and easier it seems that the next fighter can can really light them up, right? And so um, I really think that he needs to find better ways to enter 
Um, he got caught with an upkick. I saw the exact same thing uh, that Daniel Cormier uh, saw, and that was that he was near out when he got caught with that upkick. I thought he was out for a split second, the way that he kind of crashed down and his forehead kind of hit the canvas. I thought, oh, he's kind of out on his feet. I thought it was going to be over even quicker, but, um, you know, that reckless abandon. Um, so all of that. Uh, and let me point, let, let me say something, okay? A lot of people don't know because they're not familiar with uh, a lot of fighters or they don't keep, you know, they follow them maybe on Instagram or they follow them on Twitter or whatever the case may be, Facebook, but they don't pay really close attention to who they're training with. So one of the things I noticed with Waterson is, is she's kind of stepped out of the Jackson Winklejohn uh, camp in the sense that she's 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 not outside of the camp okay she's taking advantage of the open-mindedness of greg jackson and and winklejohn and she's training at other places for other things so she's training with um i forget his last name but he's on instagram it's train with reese uh this guy is a very good trainer um he uh, is a very good businessman and he basically got her super prepped, I think, for this fight as physically. If you see some of the work she did, she was doing some very interesting work, um, things that um, I think a lot of other uh, athletes aren't doing right now. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that the military, or excuse me, <laughs> the Olympic style lifts are going anywhere anytime soon. But I think that when it comes to building kinetic chains, um, there's a certain disconnect between combat sports and Olympic style lifting. And so what, what Reese was doing with her out in Albuquerque is he had her doing a lot of work with like Bulgarian bags and stuff. And I'm not super informed on them, but just watching the movements on some of her Instagram uh, feed and, and Twitter feed, um, it was pretty amazing. Um, I really feel like this was probably what's improving her wrestling because you're taking weight and you're slinging it around in this bag and you're having to disconnect it from your body and reconnect it to your body while keeping it controlled. Very much the same way that you do when you're grappling and specifically when you're wrestling, right? You're making a connection. Your body's making a connection to the other person's body. Sometimes you have to release that connection to get to a different position or to move around, to strike, whatever the case may be, and then you want to reconnect to it. But the whole time, you also are trying to manipulate and control that weight, right? And so I really feel like it added to her game. I mean, I just thought it was a great fight. And so this is coming back to Condit. I'm thinking that maybe it's time for him to also take advantage Right. That, that's what GSP did. Right. He took advantage of the fact during his his very first run, he took advantage of the fact that, you know, Greg Jackson, Winklejohn are very open minded guys. They're not closed minded guys and they're totally cool with training people uh, and allowing them to train elsewhere. And I think GSP took advantage of that during his first title run. Right. Or his first, you know, title reign. Um, I think, you know, similarly, I think that some of these. Jackson Winklejohn fighters, well, I think uh, Greg uh, probably appreciates it and 
and Wink probably appreciates it. I think they need to take a little bit more advantage of getting out and training with some other people and adding different things to their game or changing their game a little bit um, just to be a little bit smarter to give their opponents something different that they haven't seen out of them before right um i really felt like as much as i love carlos condit as a fan i really saw that it you know what i saw was it was just the same old carlos and um you know i think you know cowboy was prepared for that and uh caught him um and then let's lastly let's go ahead and wrap it up uh let's go ahead and talk about the gaethje portier fight what else can i say then Gaethje is quickly becoming my favorite fighter um, because he understands what this is all about. It's entertainment. It's not personal. We they don't. He doesn't have to build up, you know, all these ridiculous drama and storylines. It doesn't have to be a, a a WWE production or IE a a man uh, soap opera, right? You don't have to do all that. All you got to do is go out there and put on good fights. And even though he's lost the last two fights, right, I see him still getting another big fight because he's a big draw. It's an exciting style to watch, right? He's going to, either you're going to break or, and he will break you, or you're going to knock the guy out. You're going to have to stop him. Because if you don't stop the guy, he's going to come at you for three or five rounds, depending on how it's set up, whatever fight you have him in, he's going to come at you for that entire time. So you either got to knock him out or you got to break him. All right, excuse me. He either got to knock him out or he's going to break you. So um, it was a great fight. Um, I really feel like, again, if he wants, you know, he keeps saying he's only got about another five fights left. Um, if that's all the fights he wants to do, you know, that's probably gets him to another year and a half, maybe two years of a career. And if that's all he wants, well, then, hey, so be it. You know, that's uh, awesome. Uh, have loved to have watched him fight and, you know, chalk it up. But if, you know, he starts to think that maybe he wants to, uh, be more than that and he wants to fight longer than that maybe he needs to consider cutting weight down to 145 um, 10 pounds isn't too big of a drop and as i understand it he doesn't cut much weight for 155 right now um, i think he he walks around at really close to 155 already i want to say he walks around at like 165 170 which is hardly a weight cut compared to most guys at 155 right so I think adding another 10 pounds, getting to 145, I think that, you know, that becomes very interesting um, style for him at 145. There's nobody at that weight class that does what he does um, or that I can think of, um, which is, you know, cover up, just bring the pain, leg kick, leg kick, leg kick, get in close, uh, dirty box and leg kicks, you know, and uh, just make it a super exciting fight. Um, you got some guys that throw, you know, bombs at 145 and they just step back and try to, you know, knock you out, but not in the same kind of way that, that Gaethje does it, making it look super entertaining. All that being said, um, I think if I remember right, uh, on Friday, I did pick Poirier to win, thought he had more ways to win, even though I was going to be rooting for Gaethje. And sure enough, um, you know, his 
his much more advanced striking really came through. Um, there are some worrying things, though, seeing him. Uh, I did mention that I thought he got a raw deal, a little bit, little bit of an early stoppage, a little bit of strike behind the head against Connor, and um, thought that maybe he could have done better had, you know, they protected him the way they should have. But all that being said, um, a couple of troubling things. Okay, Gaethje is... While he is a tank and he comes forward and puts pressure forward, um, I don't think that he's the biggest puncher, right? I don't even think, even though he throws the most devastating leg kicks and throws them in abundance, I don't even think he's the best leg kicker. I don't think his game around his leg kicks is the best game that's predicated on kicking the legs, okay? I think that it was troubling that Portier allowed somebody that he knew was going to kick his legs, kick his legs as many times as they did. Uh, he just, you know, they went, so many of those kicks went unchecked. Um, he didn't seem interested in throwing leg kicks in return. Um, you know, uh, he finally found, you know, uh, that check hook off of one of the leg kicks, um, but that that rocked Gaethje and, and eventually led to the stoppage. But, I mean, um, I really felt like there were so many more things he could have done to um, really shut down those leg kicks. And he didn't seem to go for them. Uh, he went for a couple of takedowns um, here and there, but they were really half-hearted in my opinion. And I don't know if that was because he felt he was superior in the striking and, you know, he was more well-rounded and that that was going to come through and, you know, but it is troubling that I, I will say this. I think that Portier on a technical uh, aspect is a much better striker than Gaethje. However, it's troubling that he could have such a gap and still the fight was so super narrow, right? That win was narrow. I think if that if that fight goes uh, the full five rounds, I think Gaethje wins the decision, if not soon stops him. I mean, there was getting to a point there where you were starting to see, um, you know, Portier's legs buckling. You could see him kind of put weight on that leg and it'd buckle. Um, he would, you know, he'd try to move around and all of a sudden it would kind of give and he would have to dance around and play it off and, and move it around and keep it warm, right? And try and just get movement into it. So, um, you know, it's a little bit troubling, uh, especially at 155. Um, I don't know that uh, Portier as... As entertaining as the fight was, um, I look at the guys at 155 that I think are, you know, the best, um, Khabib and Tony, um, and then here with uh, Max Holloway talking about maybe coming up to challenge for the belt at some point or whatever, um, and then Connor sitting in, you know, limbo land. Um, I just don't think he's ready for any of those guys yet. I mean, maybe Connor or Max because uh, he's seen Connor before. And so I think that, you know, he maybe would be a little bit uh, better prepared than some other guys for Connor. But again, going back to those leg kicks, after we saw Connor adjust to Nate and go to those leg kicks, and after seeing what we just saw out of Gaethje, I can't believe Connor doesn't set up that 
you know, that left hook uh, with a couple of leg kicks and then put Portier to sleep. So, um, and then as far as Max Holloway, again, leg kicks. And I also think that um, he's a much better striker in in those close-in uh, dirty boxing exchanges than Gaethje is. So, I mean, and we saw Gaethje tag Portier a few times um, in that close-in distance. Um, and so I really don't know if he's ready for any of those guys. Um, I don't think he's ready for Khabib. I mean, we clearly saw he was, you know, Gaethje was able to back him up coming forward, coming forward, coming forward, coming forward. And we know that's what Khabib likes to do. And, uh, you know, trying to, and he's going to go for the takedown. Khabib's not, not Gaethje. He's not going to get you up against the fence and then throw, just throw punches and leg kick and put on entertaining. Khabib's trying to win the fight. And he knows that takedowns are worth points. And so if he gets Portier up against the fence, he's going to take him down. Um, and then as far as Tony, I just think his striking is so unique and so unorthodox and so different. Um, I think he learns from what Gagey did. He does a lot of similar things, but he mixes in a lot better punches and kicks to the head. And, uh, you know, um, I think you go after a lazy uh, takedown on him and he's going to basically pull funk wrestle pull into a guard and then uh you know start trying to work submissions and you're in a lot of trouble so um i really don't i, I just don't know that portier is ready yet um for for that but we'll see so anyhow guys um stay tuned we're going to talk a little bit about geese next and what you should be spending and you know um what's a good price point and what i've found as far as geese and and what's worth the money so stay tuned guys yippee ki yay welcome back once once more guys um so what are we talking about we're talking about fashion well not really fashion we're talking about geese or kimonos or uniforms whatever you want to call them when it comes to uh training so with no further ado let's go ahead and get into it so um as I began to train in grappling, specifically Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, um, I really liked the geese when I first started training. And um, I thought I was maybe the first one to come up with this idea, but uh, I guess not because I've just come across a private client that uh, trains Kempo and their instructor does have some background in Judo and Jiu-Jitsu. And so their geese are jujitsu weight geese. And I, I think that that's a great idea. Um, I really wish that more um, traditional martial artists would, would switch to the heavier weight geese. And there's a number of reasons for this. Um, number one, they're just so much more durable than a traditional uh karate gi, which is super light i mean the, the traditional karate gis are super lightweight um and 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 they rip extremely easily if you start using them for grappling not only do they rip extremely easily but if you do like a collar choke or something with somebody i mean it's like choking them with a piano wire like you know it's just it's almost unfair right i mean so the fabric itself doesn't really give any kind of resistance. 
Um, so, and then lastly, also they're heavier and warmer. And so they kind of warm up your body, keep your body a little bit warmer as far as, you know, uh, preventing injuries in my opinion. And then secondly, they're also heavier. Um, so it's almost like if you're, you know, a little bit of a shout out to DBZ fans, but, uh, it's almost like training in weighted clothing. Um, and then when you get out of the gi and you do your no gi type grappling, you feel like 20 times faster, you know, and lighter. And so, um, it's, it's a, it's a really good training, training tool. Um, so even if you train, um, more traditional martial arts, uh, Kempo, Kaiju Kimbo, uh, you know, Kung Fu, uh, whatever it is, uh, even if you train Krav Maga, right? I would suggest that you invest in a uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu styled or weighted gi and um, or judo gi um, to train in. And it's just so much more durable. You don't have to worry about ripping your shirts or tearing your shirts, things of that nature. And um, it also adds some benefits as far as, you know, um, being weight, you know, basically adding weight to your workout and resistance to your workout just simply by being heavy. Um, so all that being said, let's go ahead and move on. So first and foremost, if you're starting out in jujitsu and this is, and really this is across the board in my opinion. Okay. Again, this is my opinion. I've, I've worn, I haven't owned, but I've worn, um, show you roll. I've, uh, worn, um, um, a flow kimono. Um, and the reality is, is that I didn't think that the quality of the gi or the fit, the comfortable, um, the comfort level was significant enough to warrant the price. That's just my opinion. Okay. I can't speak to their durability because I've never owned one, right? Um, but I can speak to their comfort. Um, I can speak to the cut, um, the feel, um, those kinds of things. And uh, I just don't think it, they warrant the price. Um, in my opinion, um, even if you are a high-level competitor or maybe not even a high-level competitor, let's just say you're a competitor. Let's just say you like to compete from time to time, one or two tournaments a year. I think that your day-to-day gi or your training gi, I don't think you should be spending over $100 on a training gi, on a day-to-day gi. Um, especially if you're, even if you're just interested in the sport and you're just getting started, I think that $100 is buys you plenty of of great options okay so some of the geese that i've owned i've owned a sensum ball i've owned uh an elite i've owned a venom um i've owned two tatamis and one gameness air um i've also owned a 93 brand and a rev gear Okay, those are the different um, geese that I've owned. I think I spent the most for the Gameness Air. I think it it came in at about one nineteen or fifteen after shipping. I paid for shipping. So, all of that being said, 
let me tell you how I rank these geese. So as far as comfort level, when I first put on the gi, we're not even talking durability. We're just talking about how comfortable the gi was. I want to say that, that comfortableness, the way it wore, the way it fit, the way it moved, I want to say it was uh, pretty close between the Venom and the Gameness Air. Those were really, really close um, in, in how they felt. Um, Sorry, the Venom was a contender. Um, so they're really close. However, that being said, after going through the life of the geese, um, and I guess they're still kind of limping along, but um, after you know owning each gee for a good amount of time, I really felt like uh, the Gameness Air really lasted better. It's put up with more. Um, of course, there are different types of weaves. You're going to hear all about this. Gold weaves, uh, double weaves, single weaves, pearl weaves, platinum weaves. I think there's a diamond weave now. Um, all of that is, for the beginner, I'll just be completely honest, it's a bunch of nonsense. Um, you just get a gi, okay? Um, and don't pay a lot for it. Um, that gi, you're going to put a lot of damage on it. You're going to be probably rougher on that first gi than any other gi. Um, simply because if you get bit by the bug, you're probably going to be rolling like an extraordinary amount to try and get good. Um, and then on top of that, you're also going to um, not think about things. So you're going to let people tug on your gi and yank on your gi and you're not really understanding things like breaking grips and all that kind of stuff. So your gi is going to get beat up. Okay. Cause you're not going to think about, Oh, I got to break that grip. You're just going to let people grab you cause oh, it lets me grab them. Right. And so your gi is going to take a beating. Um, now, that being said, for a first gi, I mean, generally speaking, when you start training jiu-jitsu, I don't charge this kind of a, a money, but I understand, you know, but I'm not a jiu-jitsu school, right? I'm not a jiu-jitsu school. I'm not a jiu-jitsu academy. I'm a self-defense academy that we basically, uh, you know, use a lot of concepts and principles from jiu-jitsu, right? Um, that's what, what, how my business is structured. That's the business model that I use is that let's get fit and let's get some basic techniques and tactics and strategies down for self-defense and then and structure our fitness around that and to facilitate that so you know all that being said um you know it's i'm not i don't charge the amount that a quality sport or self-defense jujitsu um you know academy would charge you right and if we're going to be honest it's quite an investment to get started right? You're talking probably some kind of registration fee that's probably somewhere between $100 and $300. And then you're talking about $100 to probably up to $170, maybe even $200 if, it ha if that particular school has a big name, right? A month to train. And then you got to buy your own gi, right? So when you're investing somewhere between, you know, to start up for those first two months, you're probably talking about putting up about 500 bucks to five to 600 bucks to start training, right? You, and that's just training fees, right? That's not even including your gi yet. 
I don't think it's the best idea to go out and buy the most expensive gi. Okay. I really think that you should buy a gi that is uh, uh, moderately priced and it's going to be the best value for your dollar. Um, so that being said, uh, so those were probably the two most comfortable geese. Okay. Um, coming in right behind those though would probably be, um, I would probably stick the sense and ball, um, right behind it. And, and the elite, like those two came in right behind and given their price point, if you're looking for a comfortable gi to train in, um, I would say that, you know, given their price point, I think they, you can find them on Amazon, um, somewhere, depending on, on whether or not they're in stock and what color you get and what size you can pick them up from somewhere between 49 and $79 and then plus shipping. Um, unless, uh, you happen to get them through Amazon prime and I think there, then it's included. Um, but, um, you know, that is what it is. Now those geese, um, I think the elite comes with a white belt if you're a beginner, but I don't think the sense and ball does. I think you have to order your belt separately. Um, so, you know, but as far as, you know, um, comfort, they're right up there. Now here's the thing I'll tell you. Okay. You get used to, um, or, or most people, even the people who will recommend what size of ghee for you to buy will recommend ghee sizes on traditional experiences with geese. Sensenba is not traditional. Pay attention to their sizing, okay? Their sizing is pretty right on, okay? And they try to warn you when you when you buy the gi, they they like put it in there, I want to say like three times they mention in their little ad on Amazon like, "Hey, pay attention. Doesn't matter if you've ever bought a gi before from any other company, we're not those companies. Pay attention to our sizing chart." Okay? Um, because the ghee does not shrink very much in the wash. Um, it shrinks very little in the dryer. Okay. So if you're used to buying, let's say an A2, because A1, um, doesn't quite fit you, but A2s are a little bit big and you're used to buying, uh, an A2 and then shrinking it down, Right. Don't plan on that with Sensible. Go ahead and buy the A1 or whatever size they recommend on their on their chart. Okay, um, so that's the only thing about Sensible. But they're very comfortable gi. I thought they were super comfortable. Now, as far as durability, um, I didn't own them very long. I actually ended up uh, giving them away uh, to a couple of clients that you know they didn't want to make the investment in a brand new gi. I had already owned the geese and they weren't my favorites. And so I said, Hey, I could let you take this one off my hands for, you know, next to dirt. Um, just be, mostly because, you know, I, I just enjoy teaching and I enjoy training and, um, you know, it, it's just a way for me to give back. So, uh, I let those go for dirt cheap. Um, so that being said, um, that brings us to the tatami geese. So one of my tatami geys is fairly, fairly new. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot the 93 brand um, and the Rev Gear. Rev Gear is a okay gi. It's a pretty good gi for a beginner. Um, the price point is, is 
right. It's a fair price. They have the same issue as Sensenball. Go by their sizing charts. Do not go by what your experience or what somebody else, if you're a beginner, is telling you their experience was. I got an A2. Um, I've worn it once or twice. I haven't worn it anymore, even though it's comfortable. The reason why is it's gigantic. Um, I got an A2. It, knowing that A2s are a little bit big for me, I washed it in hot water. I dried it. It didn't shrink <laughs> very much at all. And so um, it's like wearing pajamas, it feels like. So um, even though it's a it's a decent gi for the price, um, I wouldn't suggest buying one too big, right? I would suggest that, you know, for the price, it's a great gi. I think it's a great gi for the price. It's a beginner gi. Um, it's not something you're probably going to stay in forever. Um, the quality feels decent. It's probably going to last about a year um, before it starts to get rips to where probably your instructor is going to tell you, hey, you need to move on to another gi because somebody's toes or fingers are going to get caught in those rips and, you know, we can't have that. Um, but other than that, it was a pretty good gi. Um, then we also have, uh, you know, next we also have uh, the 93 brand. Um, the 93 brand, it runs a little bit larger than other gis I've ever had, but it shrinks down well. Um, the reason why I even got the 93 brand is because I needed a pure white gi. Um, and it was a gi that was completely white and on sale and uh, of a decent, you know, manufacturer. So I went ahead and I bought it. Um, it's an okay gi. Um, it's not my favorite gi. It's pretty comfortable. Um, and really the only knock I have on it is that it's white. That's the only reason why I don't wear it. Um, I'm not a white gi guy. I, I just don't care for, I don't know, I feel like a giant toothpick or like a giant Q-tip in, in a white gi. Um, I, I just don't like it. Um, so I don't wear them. But as far as comfort and things like that, it was good. Um, it's a great price. Uh, I want to say I got it at like $60, $65, something like that, plus shipping. So I want to say all in total, it was like $70, $72, something like that. Great price for the gi. So it brings me to my tatamis. By far, the tatamis um, have proven to be the most durable gis I have owned personally. Um, I love my tatamis, even though they're not the most comfortable. Um, first gi I ever bought was a tatami Nova. Um, I think I got it for $75 and, uh, it's a great gi. I really, really like it. Um, it, uh, has served me well. Uh, it's frayed out a little bit, but considering it's, uh, nearly a five-year-old gi, um, it's really, um, you know, not that bad. Uh, I, I, I can still wear it from time to time if I feel like it, you know. Um, and my new tatami is extremely um, well built and put together. And um, it's a little bit more comfortable than my tatami Nova. Um, it's a tatami Estilio, I want to say that's how they, they spell it. Um but it has the same kind of quality to it, um, and it's a little bit more comfortable. Uh, I want to say that I got that one on sale, and I think I paid about 85 for it, all, to all said and done. And so the reason why 
I'm even reviewing these geese is because um, I really felt when I first started down the grappling jujitsu journey, um, although I had grappled some in my previous uh, uh, martial arts experience and, and had just started to basically stick my toe in the water in those, in those, other, um, those other styles, um, the thing is, is that you, when you switch over and you come over and you get this gi, this first gi ever, you really do have these concerns about, well, is it going to be comfortable? Is it going to be too hot, too heavy? Am I overspending? Wow, this is a lot of money for a gi. My, my Kempo gi didn't cost this much. My Kajukimbo gi didn't cost this much. My Taekwondo gi didn't cost this much, you know. And so people, I think, need to understand that, you know, Number one, what is a reasonable price point? Okay. And number two, when you see so many geese selling for over a hundred dollars and all the way up to three hundred dollars, right? You start to wonder, like, well, is my little $75 gi going to be able to stand up to this? Because, geez, I can't believe that there are people who are going to pay $300 unless it was worth it. And it is worth it to them right? You have to remember that geese, it's a lot like at a certain point when people become gee heads, right? I like to say, I use that terminology. It means they, they're gee collectors. They love geese, right? When they become gee heads, it's a lot like becoming a sneaker head, right? To people who collect sneakers, you know, paying $100, $150, dollars $200 for a pair of sneakers is totally worth it to them right? Because that's what they value. They value sneakers. Now, that's not for me to make a judgment on, right? I mean, there's things I'm sure I spend money on that they would look at and be like, why would you spend money on a coffee, right? You know, why would you spend $3 on a coffee, right? And so, you know, I can make coffee at home for 50 cents a cup, you know? So, you know, it's not for me to judge. What I'm saying is, is that if you're looking for just practical and functional, right, something to try it out, you don't need to spend that money. And I don't want people to be intimidated and I don't want them to have gi shame, <laughs> if you will, over not spending hundreds of dollars on their gi, right? Uh, you know, uh, to Tommy Nova at $75, $65, um, a Rev Gear at $65, a Sensen Ball, an Elite at $60, $59, something like that. That is completely fine. That is totally fine that that's all you spent on your gi, right? Um, and you're going to get probably at least a year out of that gi. Now, here's the difference. People talk about these gis and like I said, a lot of times, coming over over from other martial arts systems, you think, well, come on, dude, like, this is ridiculous. This gi is like, you know, I didn't pay anywhere near this for my, my Kempo or my Taekwondo gi, right? But the difference is, is that you don't put the wear and tear on the gi the way you do in jujitsu and judo. You put way, you're grabbing at this gi, you're pulling on this gi, you're tugging on this gi, you're wrapping it around people's throats or they're wrapping it around your throat, right? There's so much more going on that, you know, you need to invest in a quality gi. And if you think about it, you know, if you can at least invest in a decent entry-level gi somewhere between, let's say, $50 and 100 right? 
that doesn't work out to very much over a year, right? 12 goes into 100, you know, um, not even 10 times, okay? So that's less than $10. For less than $10 a month, you're ba it's basically like renting your uniform for $10 a month, right? If somebody told you, yeah, you could train and you could rent a gi for 10 bucks a month on top of your monthly fee, you might think, oh, that's a pretty good deal because I, you know, then I don't have to buy a $100 gi. But when you think about it, if you bought that $100 gi, it's actually less than that, right? So everything is, you know, uh, relative, um, but you should be expecting for a starter gi, you should probably expect to spend between $50 and $100. Now, this is given that you can buy your gi anywhere you want. Okay, I understand there are some academies and some schools, if you go decide to train there, that require you buy your gi through them. And how much they mark up the gi, I have no idea, right? And maybe that's one of the way that they generate revenue, because maybe they give an outstanding, amazing price on training, right? Or maybe they just, they feel that that's the value of training with them is that you pay for the gi and you pay for the training, right? And that's up to them to decide. And uh, most likely if they have people in their classes, they're doing something right. So anyhow, um, that's the skinny on the gis. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to talk a little bit about NFL football because I love NFL football. We're going to talk about some de developments in the NFC East and what I think that means. Stay tuned to listen to my little rants and raves uh, when it has to do with Des Bryant and the Dallas Cowboys. See you in a bit, guys. Yippee-ki-yay, and welcome back to the final segment for today. So, guys, huh, I told you guys starting this podcast, I'm going to talk about things that interest me. Um, you know, we, we focus a lot on fitness, diet, um, martial arts, fighting, uh, self-defense, all of those kind of things. Um, but we also will talk about news of the day from time to time, as well as other sports. So before, or excuse me, after I put out the podcast last week on Friday, um, I then learned that um, Des Bryant would no longer be a Dallas Cowboy. Um, needless to say, I uh, was very saddened by this news. Um, I think that Des Bryant got sold down the river. Uh, I am not a huge fan, although I am a Cowboy fan, I am not a huge fan of Dak Prescott. Um, I feel like he is way overrated when you look at the, uh, you know, his production um, between that first year he took over and, you know, his second year, I think you can see that, you know, it's already in a decline. Um, I think with Dez gone, to be quite honest, I think you'll only see more uh, decline. Uh, I don't think that his accuracy is spectacular. Dak's accuracy with the ball is spectacular. I think that, you know, his entire throwing game is predicated on two things. Number one, sh the short pass. And number two, the little read option thing that freezes or is designed to freeze um, the rush for a second, the, the defensive end from crashing down so that they kind of have to look to see what's going to happen with the ball first. Um, now, that being said, 
I don't think it's sustainable anyway. I think that, you know, I see Dak Prescott as a slower but stronger version of RG3. So I think he'll be able to take a couple more hits than RG3. But in the end, I think that unless they really force him to become a little bit more of a prototypical uh, quarterback, I just don't think he's going to stand up to the hits that he's going to take. I think he only has probably two more seasons left if they keep running this gadget, gimmicky uh, read option stuff. So that being said, okay, I feel that Dez um, was um, a casualty of Romo's injury, right? If you look at Dez's numbers, they the decline mirrors Romo not being available. Now, I understand some people uh, don't have the respect for Tony Romo as a quarterback, but he is an amazing quarterback. Um, he is probably the most underrated quarterback of all time. Um, you look at the numbers, you look at where he was, that he wasn't even drafted, um, yet is, you know, a Pro Bowl level quarterback. Um, it's hard to, you know, to, to say that he gets the respect he deserves um, for putting in the work that he has. He was never supposed to be as good as he is um, or was. And so, um, and then if you watch him and you listen to him when he's announcing games, you can see here that amazing football mind and how much he really understands the game. And so, um, I really feel that Dez's downfall, his lack of production is a direct, uh, link, right? I think it, it is directly attributed to, um, Romo not being there. And so um, I think it's pretty sad that Dak uh, basically became a casualty of the Roma, Romo era coming to an end. Um, I really feel like if they don't do something at quarterback, I think that the uh, era of, of uh, perpetual mediocrity has begun. Um, and then it'll spiral into just outright horrible play as the offensive line gets old. Um, and I'm just being honest with you. Okay. But that being said, I always like to look at uh, what's going on in the rest of the league. And especially now that um, Dez is going to have to leave and some of the comments he's made about, you know, um, I, I want to say he said something on Twitter about uh, wanting to play just uh, play the Dallas Cowboys two times a year um, and see, you know, the Cowboys two times a year. And if, in fact, he means that, um, what do we think is the best option? So first and foremost, let's look at the rest of the NFC East. You got the Eagles, you got the Redskins, you got the Giants. Um, I don't think the Giants are a great fit for, um, for Dez. Uh, and the reason why I don't think they're a great fit is that I think Eli is on a razor's edge. Um, if Eli goes, that means they're going to be wanting to rebuild with another quarterback. Having another young quarterback is probably not the best thing for Dez. You want a quarterback that's a little bit more mature, that can throw a good ball, the, the type of ball that Dez likes, right? And the type of ball that Dez likes is he likes a high arcing 
deep ball, right? High arcing so that he can turn it into a physical matchup. See, one of the things people have been saying about Dez over these last couple of years is that he's lost a step because he's not catching as many deep balls. But that's coming from people that are either willfully ignorant or just ignorant, period. Dez has never been a burner, right? Even look at his his speed, uh, his 40 time. Um, I want to say his 40 time coming into the league was like a 4-5, four, 4-5-2, five, four, five, something like that. Now, that's not unbelievably fast, okay? I mean, it's fast compared to the average Joe, right, off the street, but that's not unbelievably fast in the NFL. I mean, in all reality, that's pretty much turtle time, right? When you're talking about the speed of most cornerbacks, okay? So, but what Dez is, is he's big and strong. And so when you match up that consistency of speed, in other words, Dez generally does not get slower as the game goes on. He starts out running a 4-5, he ends the game running a 4-5, right? So when you have that consistency of speed over the long haul of the game, okay, when you have that strength and power, explosiveness, and then the size, so he's wide and he's tall, okay, he can then make it into a jump ball and a physical contest every time the ball is thrown in that high arcing way. If you put that ball in a high arcing way out towards the sideline, Dez is going to win that matchup most of the time. And then on top of that, okay, even if he doesn't catch it many times, he's at least in a position to make sure the DB doesn't catch the ball. Okay. So you need a quarterback that can put the ball where Dez likes it. And it takes some touch to do this. Okay. It, it doesn't take the biggest arm in the world, but it takes touch and it takes understanding. Okay. Now, I think Eli could throw that ball, but I don't think that the Giants are a good fit for Des because of the fact that Eli is somewhat on the razor's edge. I think they're kind of going back and forth right now of how they're going to keep him. Some are even speculating that the Giants may take a quarterback in the draft, right? So if the Giants were going to take a quarterback, that's kind of the writing on the wall that, hey, Eli's time is done. If he struggles at all, they'll probably yank him. And so I don't know that's a situation Des wants to be in, right? He doesn't want to be in another Dak Prescott position of, well, <laughs> you know, this guy, they're going to tell him to do this dink and dunk stuff because they don't want him to turn over the ball and they want our defense to give us a chance to win, right? He's not, he doesn't want to go somewhere like that. That's not going to give him the vindication that he needs. Um, if you look then, let's go from there. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Philadelphia. Okay. You have uh, Wentz there. Okay. Now, this might be a thumb in the eye. Okay. This might be a thumb in the eye to the Cowboys because it has been, um, you know, who's the better uh, quarterback that came in as a rookie? You know, is it Dak? Is it Wentz? Blah, blah, blah. I think hands down it's Wentz, but that's just my opinion. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a good quarterback. 
maybe Dez fits in there. Here's the thing, though. They will have a target on their back, right? Being the NFL champs, they're going to have a tough, tough road to hoe. Um, there's going to be lots and lots of pressure because, well, you know, Foles won a Super Bowl, so Wentz better win one or, you know, it's not going to be great. So I don't know if that's where you want to go because pretty much the bar is set at, you know, um, Super Bowl or bust. Pretty much anything be, besides a Super Bowl is a bust for the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Because Wentz is supposed to be a better quarterback than Foles. And if Foles could take that behind that defense, go out and win a Super Bowl, then Nick Foles should be able to do it easily, right? So I don't know if that's the best fit for him, but it would be great payback. Great, great, great payback, right? I mean, you come Philly, there is probably, um, I mean, that's a huge rivalry, Dallas and Philly, right? And to come in there and basically do a TO, but in reverse, right? Go from the Cowboys to the Eagles and then, you know, light it up against them, light it up on the Cowboys, um, you know, that would be something spectacular. Now, my only question is, is that, is that what the Eagles are looking for? Are the Eagles looking for new wide receiver weapons? And are they going to be willing to pay a Des Bryant price tag? Okay, because I look at that and I'm thinking they probably don't want to pay that price tag. Um, I mean, he's probably going to command you know, 10 mil, even if you just sign him to a single year contract, you might be able to get him for nine if you're going to give him a long contract. But I don't know that anybody's going to give him a long contract. I mean, the reality is, is that while Dez is, a, I think, still a great receiver, he's also getting older, right? So when the decline, when the speed starts to go it, for wide receivers, generally it goes. And Dez is not known as being a Jerry Rice type right? He's not a amazing, super accurate route runner, understands the game by getting open, blah, blah, blah. That's not what Dez is known for. So I don't know, maybe he could change his game. Maybe he could, who knows, but I don't see it. I wouldn't predict it. I wouldn't bet the house on it. And so most people, if you're going to take a chance on Dez, I think they're going to give him a one, maybe a two-year contract, maybe a two-year contract just to structure it in a way that they could have him for one year um, to see how it goes and and then restructure the second year if it goes well, um, which leaves the Washington Redskins. Now, let me tell you something about the Washington Redskins. I think that they got ran through the ringer for the trade that they made earlier this year. I think that Alex Smith is one of the most disrespected quarterbacks um, in the NFL, actively in the NFL. Um, you know, he, he does nothing but win, right? And he puts his teams in positions to win. And then when it has nothing to do with him, his teams lose. Defense gives up points. Uh, wide receivers fumble the ball. Um, it's not bad play out of Alex Smith that caused it. But somehow he gets the tag of, well, he can't win the big game. 
you know, um, it would be a different thing if Alex Smith was the one throwing the interceptions. It would be a different thing if Alex Smith was the one fumbling the ball everywhere. It would be a different thing if he played like junk, right, and never gave his team a chance to win. But I don't think that's what you see out of Alex Smith, right? I think he's a really good quarterback. When you take a look around the NFC East, the only team that has a solid young quarterback right now, that their future, that they have a future, not only do they have a present, but they have a future, in my opinion, is the Philadelphia Eagles. Eli Manning is old, right? He's going to retire soon, sooner rather than later. Okay, he's already on the razor's edge in New York, in my opinion, as far as being cut or let go. Um, If he doesn't have a better year this year, look to see him get benched again and that being it for his career. If he doesn't have, if he doesn't produce early on, if he has bad games, Um, if he has a mediocre year up and down, um, just enough to stay on as a starter, look for him to be released at the end of the year. Okay. That being said, Dallas with Dak, I think that uh, Dallas was sold uh, some fool's gold in Dak. Um, And uh, so now I want to say the best two quarterbacks in in the NFC East are Wentz and Alex Smith. Now, if Washington, I can't believe Washington would have made the move they made if they didn't want to win now. The reality is, is that they have a defense good enough to win right now in the NFC East, right? And remember that when it starts in football, you have to first think about winning, you know, your division, then conference, right? That's how you have to think about it. So many people want to jump the shark and go right into, oh, well, can, are you good enough to, uh, you know, beat the Patriots? Are you good enough to beat, you know, these people and those people? Whoa, 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 whoa. Rewind. Okay. Now, for the NFC East, the Super Bowl champ has happens to be in, you know, their division. But, you know, the first question is, can you get out of your division? Can you win your division? And so I can't believe the Redskins wouldn't have made the moves that they made if they didn't think that they had some of the other pieces to win now okay to be competitive right now and so i think one of the best fits would for des would be the washington redskins okay now number one he gets to play the cowboys twice a year at least this first season number two i think they have the cap space to pay him Number three, I think Alex Smith is an experienced enough quarterback, has a strong enough arm, okay, but more than that, is accurate enough and understands the game enough, okay? He plays the game more between the six inches between his ears than he does with his arm, okay, to understand how and where to get Des the ball. On top of that, Des let's just be honest, it's still a business. And Dez could market, Team Dez could market the hell out of Cowboys and Indians. Cowboys versus the Redskins. 
blue versus red, right? I think that he could market that. And I think that, you know, a lot of people would want to see that. Um, and, and like I said, I think Alex Smith is the right quarterback for him, right? He's a very similar quarterback to Tony Romo in the sense that, you know, he plays the game more with his head and understanding the game than he does with his natural athletic ability. While he is a great athlete. I mean, let's be real. Alex Smith, he's older, but he's a great athlete. He moves well, right? He scrambles well. He, he understands how to slide in the pocket. He doesn't have the biggest arm. And he's one of the few quarterbacks that you've seen that, you know, every year he's played has gotten better and better and better and better and better. Okay. And I think that, you know, the Redskins have a shot to make some noise and maybe upset the Eagles in their division if they give Alex Smith the right tools. And what Alex Smith needs is he needs at least two different types of receivers. He needs a quick guy for underneath routes, right? Somebody who can change direction well and tight routes. He needs a big guy, right? That he can throw the ball up to. That would be Dez, right? And then he needs some type of running back guy. And I think they have that in Washington, right? He needs somebody out of the backfield and I think they have that. So I, I really feel like, you know, it would be a great fit for him. The only other place I think that Dez can go where they can afford him and he has the opportunity to win now. Um, and it would be also a thumb in the eye to the Cowboys and it sticking along the lines of that were red versus blue is San Francisco. I really believe in Jimmy G. Um, I think he is uh, the truth. I think that, you know, he is a real quarterback and I think that, um, you know, he could be the veteran stabilizing type of wide receiver out there. Now, I know a lot of people say Dez is bad for the locker room and I don't know where they get that from. You see how his, his teammates respond to him uh, on the sideline, right? They respond to him. People love him. You see all the love Dez is getting on Twitter. I mean, the guys love him. So I don't think that, you know, I think it's a more of a media creation, right? that Dez is this and Dez is that. I mean, I just don't see it, right? He's no Terrell Owens. I mean, let's just be real about it. He's not a Terrell Owens. He is not that guy in the locker room, right? It's hard, right? Yeah, I don't think you, you can't find somebody. I think the quarterbacks he's played for, right? He's played for Romo. He's played for Dak. Both those guys speak very highly of Dez, okay? Now, here's the thing. When they did their little football life thing on T.O. ESPN, they couldn't get a quarterback other than Steve Young to get be on camera. So what does that tell you about the relationship between T.O. and his quarterbacks, right? Dez is clearly no T.O. So I really feel like that would be some good fits for him. And I'm really excited about the upcoming NFL season as well. Um, maybe we'll uh, later on um, before the draft happens, we'll do a mock draft and we'll do a whole show on it. Um, again, like I said, 
this podcast is about being fun. It's not just always going to be about seriousness and self-defense and stuff. We're going to have fun here. Um, I personally love football, so we're going to talk about it. And um, if you guys have comments or you guys think that Des belongs somewhere else or you think he's a cancer, whatever you think, man, you guys let me know. Hit me up. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, Another show on Wednesday. We're going to try and get it out around the same time. I'm going to try and get a little bit more consistent about it, guys. So sorry about that, but thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you later. Be purposeful. Be practical. Get fit with a purpose, guys.